Good morning, New Life. Hello. What an amazing day. Is it raining? Is it sunny? I don't know. But uh, hi, I'm Beck. if you don't know me. I'm part of the New Life community here. And we're in December. We're here. It's on the countdown, 20 days till Christmas or something like that. We're on the countdown. And during this time leading up to Christmas, we're intentionally spending some time reflecting on the story to bring our focus back to the reason for the season, back to Jesus. We started off the series with Scott preaching about that Jesus is a king like no other king. And I followed it with the comforting words that we serve a God who was willing to step out of the honour and the glory that he deserved and came down as a human being for us. The love and the mercy that it was in that one act is mind-boggling and can be such a comfort to us. Last week, Scott gave us the challenge of Jesus was a historical figure. So in history, so we're left with the question, who do we say Jesus is? We're doing Christmas pretty thoroughly. And we do Christmas every year. And you sometimes think, how much more of Christmas can we possibly do? I'm sure all of you have heard Christmas stories, seen Christmas movies that many times that you could very well be up here on this stage giving the message yourself and it would be a cracker. (laughs) We can be... But the problem with familiarity is we can become bored, we can become complacent and take for granted the wow factor that is in the Christmas story. And can I tell you, I actually struggled with this message because I have heard the Christmas story so many times from so many different perspectives even the one where they take it from the perspective of the animals that were in the stable at the time. We have all heard the Christmas story. But unfortunately, I then put on myself this pressure to come up with this revolutionary gold nugget that no one else in 2,000 years has ever come up with. And I wasted so much time and effort in just going around this circle, looking up the Greek of words and looking up commentaries, which I normally do anyway, but for the wrong purpose and reason, because the truth is the Christmas story in and of itself is revolutionary. The Christmas story in and of itself is the thing that sets hearts free and brings salvation to not only ourselves, but also those we love. So before I get too carried away, let's pray. Thank you, God, that you did send your son down to earth for us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you made a way for us to be in your family, to have a connection with you, to be delivered from all our sins, our hurts, our shame, our insecurities, and we get to glorify you. Lord, I pray that we get to see this message again, but with a heart that is hearing it for the first time with a mind that is hearing it as if it's the first time. And I pray we hear your love, your mercy and your kindness in the words today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So how amazing is it 
that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, the infinite, would take on flesh and become a person. The infinite become a physical confined being. Phenomenal, infinite power. Itty bitty human. God's own son. A baby. But not just even a baby, but a child, part of a family, living in vulnerable circumstances. Luke 2, 1 to 7 describes the situation in which Jesus is born into. Mary and Joseph, his parents, were traveling because the Roman government had issued a decree telling everyone to go back to their homes. They were in the heat. They were in the crowds. They were in the tension of the situation and pregnant. When Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, it was not in the comforts of a hospital with midwives, nurses, doctors. It wasn't even in a house or a bedroom. Jesus was born in a space where they housed animals. The pregnancy and the birth, they weren't smooth. The circumstances were ever-changing and the situation under the Roman government was unsure. The Son of God, the one who is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, arrived into the world, not with the fanfare he deserved, but seemingly overlooked in a stable. The arrival of Jesus seems to come in a whisper. Rather than triumphant shouts of joy, you would expect for, who, for God's Son, God's own son had such an unassuming, obscure, and displaced beginning. This is not the script that I would have written. This is not the grand entrance deserving of the Lord of heaven and earth. And constantly I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, 8, where God tells us, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And praise God for that. When God could have picked any starting point on the game board, he picked a basic one. And it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a trick. This was God illustrating that the kingdom of God is different to worldly wisdom, power, value, and earthly kingdoms. Jesus was not born in the court of royals, but in a stable with animals and we will see that God continues to use the unconventional and the ordinary and blows expectations for his extraordinary purposes. So we'll start the reading in Luke 2, 8 to 14, if you have your Bibles with you. So, in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be oh, excuse me, the sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace among those whom he favours. 
here. Here is the grand announcement. Here is the right level of wow to deliver the message of hope, joy, and peace for all the people. The angels in the night sky with the glory of God. It's powerful, powerful stuff. This is what would grab people's attention. This is what would get conversations happening and has the right level of grandeur deserving of the King of heaven. Of course, Jesus' birth should be announced by the angels. Who else can deliver such a significant message than the angelic hosts? And the message, the angels not only declare the birth of Jesus, but declare who he is. Good news for all people, a saviour, Christ the Lord. This is a huge announcement This is the birth of the Saviour that the Israelite community had been waiting for for centuries. But it's not in a manner expected. It isn't even to the people who would have been expected to receive such an announcement. Those who were the first to hear this grand message of God incarnate, God in the flesh, the ones who had got to see the glory of God These great witnesses are the shepherds. The black knight in the fields outside of the town, shepherds were watching their sheep. The shepherds. Now, they weren't necessarily disdained, but they were definitely on the peripheries of society. They had an important role. They looked after the sheep that were used for food, for sin sacrifices, the wool for clothing. However... Because of their job, a lot of their aspects made them ceremonially unclean and they weren't able to participate in many of the rituals and ceremonies that would have declared them clean in the Jewish society. So these guys, while forming an important function, were often held at arm's length and determined unclean. What a horrible feeling. Not only that, the shepherds worked away from people with the sheep. They were not up to date with formal etiquette. They would have been illiterate and they would have been so-so with human interactions and conversations. These guys would have been more comfortable with talking to the sheep than they would have been with human beings. But outside the city, away from any palace hall, any influential council, The shepherds were the ones who were gifted with the news, the ones who were sent to see the Messiah King, the ones who were not well presented, who were not eloquent, who were not influential and who sat on the fringes of Jewish society. They are the ones God entrusted with the news of his son. They were the ones that God chose to be his spokespeople, not the power players, not the ones who could broker deals and make Jesus famous, who could school him in the arts of politics and mould him in the ways of the world. It was not the best biblical rabbi of the day. It was the shepherds. And I love their reaction. They just sit there and say, let's go. So they wouldn't have been sitting. They went. (laughs) But I find this amazing and encouraging as well that they didn't just sit there and think, oh, why? Why me? Why did I get chosen with this message? Why was I told? 
surely there was a mistake. I haven't been to temple in a little while and I'm considered ceremonially unclean. I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I must be the wrong person. Surely God has got this wrong. No. They picked up the news, grabbed hold of it and ran to Jesus. They didn't worry about convention. They didn't worry about what was proper. They didn't worry if they were worthy of seeing Jesus. They didn't discount themselves because of who they were, what their job was, or any feeling of inadequacy or lack. They went and they saw Jesus. From verse 17, we read, When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds, unassuming, uneducated souls, they were the ones who saw and spread the word of who Jesus was, the great and perfect shepherd, the saviour they had been waiting for. They had been chosen when others would have overlooked them, but God saw them. And he chose to speak to them. And he chose them to then speak out his message of hope and a future for all mankind, humankind. They worshipped God. They told everyone who they could what they heard and saw. This child was to be the Christ, the anointed one, the saviour they had all been waiting for. The shepherd's response was one of glorification, And glorification isn't really a word we use much these days unless we're watching a movie about an epic battle and it's side against side and the rally cry goes up and someone yells, for the glory of whatever country it is, Sparta. But it's that kind of idea where we're raising something else up above everything else in our lives. It's raising something else up that we will fight for, that we will sacrifice other things for, that we will put that first. And these shepherds decided to worship and adore and glorify Jesus first. They had left their safety. They, have, they believed what God had told them. And in that, they got to see the Saviour, the promised one. They saw Jesus and they glorified him. Above all social convention, above their feeling of self-worth, above their feeling of whether or not they're clean or unclean, above their eligibility or limitations or feeling of lack, anything and everything that would otherwise hold them back, they didn't worry about because they saw their saviour who had come down to, from heaven to earth to take the form of a human who went to such extraordinary wild lengths that surely their worship could be a little bit wild. They could break out of their own conventions that they had formed in their own mind. Maybe our worship can be a little bit wild because God has been pretty wild for us. Their response was adoration, celebration. They had met their saviour. The fact that God chose the shepherds to be his news people is pretty amazing. And it indicates that the saviour, the king, 
He's not like the other kings who are caught up in power struggles or self-importance. But another amazing aspect of this passage is the use of all of humanity. We have Joseph and Mary from a significant family line, from the line of David, but they don't necessarily hold any significance of their own. We have the shepherds who social standing in an earthly sense is pretty weak as well. But at the same time, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, were still part of this nation of Israel. These are the people who have been waiting for a saviour for 400 plus plus years. This is the, cent- the nation that had been God's holy people for centuries. They're still part of the family. But in this, we see something else happening. Something that has always been there and has always been a part of God's plan. Salvation for all humankind. While the promise of the Saviour was cherished and passed on from generation to generation through the nation of Israel, the promise of God to Eve was that one of her offspring would crush the head of the serpent, the serpent illustrating sin, death and the devil. We're given this promise well before any nation of Israel ever arrived on the scene. And again, the promise to Abraham, the patriarch, was that he would be a blessing to all nations. A saviour for all the people. So we have the shepherds, we have Mary and Joseph, and we have this declaration of salvation for all peoples. And when we jump over to the narrative, uh, the Christmas narrative in Matthew, we see this proclamation start to take shape. In Matthew 2, 1 to 12, the Magi enter the scene. Where the shepherds were taken for granted, living in the lower echelons of their society, the Magi were considered learned, influential. They had the ear of kings and royals. They were the counsellors. They operated in the upper levels of society. However, before I get there, let's read the scripture first. So reading Matthew 2, 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Okay, back to the however. This group of influential, powerful, and educated people are identified as magi. Throughout history, this term has been rejiggered and known as the kings or the wise men. It's unlikely that they were actually kings. And I feel like the term wise men kind of tones down the significance that the word magi would have held to the first century of believers hearing this word in the context of the Jesus story. Magi were the astrologers. They are the ones who observed the stars, had dreams and counseled kings. Think like the guys in Egypt when Moses was doing his thing delivering people from Egypt. They were the ones who were somewhat copying what Moses did. They had the ear of the king and they had some level of magic. 
or in Daniel, when the king was asking for an interpretation of his dream, he would ask these guys, what does it mean? Looking for their counsel and their guidance and their means of power wasn't from God. There might have been components of astronomy in their work, but there was definitely also astrology. Magi is the root of the word on which we get magic, and their practices would have been condemned and looked upon with disdain by the Jewish nation. And to be honest, God had said, this, do not do this. There is a law not to do this. Do not be a part of this. There was a reason that they were disdained. But God has a better plan for it. Not only was their profession would have been abhorrent to the Israel of nation, they were also from the east. There are many speculations on to where exactly this would have been, maybe Persia or Babylonia, but the point is abundantly clear. They are not born into the people of Israel. A step further, when we look at the history of Israel, it is very likely they were part of nations that came in and destroyed the nation of Israel, took their land and tore down the temples. These people, these outsiders whose practices were against the law of God, come seeking the king of the Jews to worship him. This is not a small thing. This is the box of all that Israel had conceived them to be, all that Israel had conceived God to be, all they had conceived of the Saviour to be, absolutely blown. This is centuries of cultivated national beliefs that the idea of a Saviour would come and deliver Israel from all these other oppressive forces through strength and power, rocked with salvation held in the hands of an infant from an average family, welcoming the worship of others from all nations. Matthew demonstrates Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, but he's also not bound by earthly constructs, our earthly way of doing things. It's not by how we judge people or who we think is in or out, He is above all that. Jesus is from the nation Israel and from the family of David. And he will be a blessing to all nations, regardless of where they're from, their background, their history, their social standing, all nations. Some of the first century hearers would have been sitting there with their own worldview, their own constructs, own biases and prejudices, And would have sat there thinking, they cannot be in this story. But the gospel, but God is proclaiming, yes, yes, they can. God's ways have never been our ways. The Magi declare, we have come to worship him. And those considered unworthy or outsiders demonstrated a better response to the announcement of Jesus Christ, the Lord and King coming to earth, than the Jewish leaders who knew the promises of God had. I won't won't go into that too much. Scott did a great message last week or the week before on that. Listen to it. It's a good one. But here are the Magi outside of the norm, proclaiming and loving on Jesus. 
So the Magi get the right location. They follow the star to where Joseph and Mary live. And in Matthew 2.11, we pick it up again. And it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their response to seeing Jesus was to bow down. They fell down and worshipped Jesus. These grown men from a land far away came to a humble house of a Jewish carpenter and worshipped a toddler. Can you imagine Jesus at one or two years old taking all of this in? I can just imagine him grabbing everything that was shiny or beards or interesting. It would, I, th- I reckon it would just be chaos. And I also assume that the Magi were unperturbed. They were there to worship. They were there to present Jesus with their gifts. And these gifts were not small, basic brand. I won't name anyone. Brands either. They were the gifts for kings. They were of expense. And they wouldn't have been given lightly to anyone. They would have had these gifts from the start. There was an intentionality in their minds. There was a plan. They had seen the star and in their heart, they had already begun the act of worship and stepping out and heading and directing to Jesus with a plan, with a purpose to worship him. And in this moment, we see the execution of this worship, the inward glorification of God Now come out and worshipping Jesus as king. They were not deterred by the infant. They were not deterred by the humble surroundings. Not by the different nationalities. They were not deterred by who they were and who these guys were. They were not concerned with protocol, the level of influence or social standing. They were just there to worship Jesus as king. The shepherd and the magi were different in so many ways, yet both, in the presence of Jesus, worshipped. And when you read this story, there's that sense of abandonment. Their ego was left at the door. Their sense of shame was left at the door. The titles, the whatever it might be, all the earthly things were left at the door. And they came in and worshipped and lifted Jesus above their circumstances, their past, their feelings, their sense of identity. All that they put Jesus above. In the presence of Jesus, the shepherds spoke out. And the magi, they bowed down. Those obstacles that we set in our minds, they were blown They were obliterated. Their worship would have been down on the ground before Jesus. Their physical positioning would have been demonstrating that inward act of true standing between them and God. They knew it didn't matter where they were from, what they had done, what school they went to or what connections they had. The best place was in submission to Jesus. And submission is just acknowledging that Jesus' words over my life bear more weight in my decisions than my circumstances, my emotions, my stubbornness. 
And because I believe that this God has shown us love by coming down and showing us what life with him looks like, loves me and knows me the best because he has created me. So of course I think that is the best way to live. He knows more than I do. I can submit to him. I can worship him because he has shown us some wild things. Similarly, so we've got glorification. We've got worship. It is more than the act of singing. As I mentioned before, these guys had a plan. They left everything else at the door and they came to lift Jesus above all else. They put the greatest value on Jesus, the greatest hope in Jesus, the greatest declaration on Jesus. And around this room, we see banners saying, oh, come, let us adore him. And we have this opportunity to remember when God came down to the level of his creation, for all of his creation, he was born, he lived and died, and he was the one who paid the penalty of sin that we couldn't pay so we might know a right relationship with God this is incredible this is worthy of worship both the the shepherds and the magi weren't what earthly wisdom would have recommended this is not the people or the advocates that anyone would have put forward in their nominations some scholars even suggest that the shepherds couldn't even testify in a court because their testimony wasn't valid But these are the examples that are recorded in Scripture and demonstrate the very intention of God to invite all to a relationship with himself, obliterating racial, social and moral barriers to his savings works. Because none of us are perfect and that's what God is, perfect. So none of us meet the standard. It doesn't matter what I do or don't do, whether good or bad, it matters what he has done. Through Jesus, his death, his life, death and resurrection, we are given Jesus's perfection. And the Bible describes it as clothed in Jesus's righteousness. So we can be adopted into the family of God. You might have shame in your past. You might have regrets. You might have days where you feel unclean or unworthy, inadequate or too, too cool for school, too big, too awesome. Either side, any sense of unworthiness. Know that God sees you, God loves you and he wants to be in a relationship with you and doesn't expect us to have it all together before approaching him. This is why he sent his son Because he knew we couldn't save ourselves. And this is one of the reasons why he has included the shepherds and the magi in the story. So we all know God doesn't look at the things that the world looks at, but he looks at you. The position you hold in society, your nationality, your background, your history, your education, your bank balance, even what you did last night. These things do not stop the call of God inviting us to a relationship with Him, to worship Him, to put Him first, to put Jesus above all other shiny things this world might have to offer us. 
It won't always be easy. But in God, there is a real freedom as we grow in Him and He untangles past hurts, breaks habits, gives us the strength to stand in hardship in His love for us. And we are never alone. The angels declared, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people to you born this day in the city of David, a Saviour who is the Messiah Lord. This great news has been proclaimed for 2,000 plus years and will continue to be declared to be the truth of the gospel for all people. Our God wants to have a relationship with us and went to the lengths of coming down and becoming His very creation to make a way and show His love for us. The inclusion of the shepherds and the magi demonstrate that the family of God will include all people, that no one is too far, no one is excluded from the invitation, no matter how far they seem. God doesn't ask us to have our life sorted before we approach Him. He wants us. And when we feel unworthy, please hear that He knows you, He loves you, and He will include you. And to all those who have already accepted Him as God, He calls you child.